Radio Primavera Sound, powered by Seat. Welcome to the Weekly Review, the radio show where two adults try to understand how the world works by paying attention to what they, the young uns get up to in pop culture. We are able to do this with the help of the sharp-eyed conspiracy detective Mar Verdi. The endless streams of musical content have been upgraded lately with the additions of two particular cultural products that grabbed our attentions. Netflix currently offer, uh, offers This Is Pop, which is a series focusing on certain successful events in music from the 90s and 2000s up until today. Musical comedian Bo Burnham made the ultimate lockdown feature based on being locked down and being highly and resourcefully entertaining. Ben has a special recommendation from next year's Primavera Sound lineup. Also, uh, we have our album of the week, which belongs to the joint effort of two music legends, Monsieur Bobby Gillespie and Mademoiselle Jenny Beth, presenting Utopian Ashes. That was an excerpt from Utopian Ashes, the joint album by the frontman of Primal Scream and the former frontwoman of Savages. I never knew they split up. I thought they were going to continue. Oh. I, I saw it said former as well, but I think they're still going, aren't they? I read former in a couple of reviews, so uh, maybe it's one of those things that they didn't officially announce. It's just sort of, I don't know, Jenny Beth has been super busy doing other things, solo albums, uh, her podcast show. And I don't know. She's being invested. She's invested in a lot of a lot of her time in a lot of creative projects. She's a very interesting person to to follow. Um, this album falls into the time-honored tradition of doomed country ballad duets that have always proven to be very much loved by the public, or doomed ballads in general. No, think Serge Gainsbourg and Jane Birkin. Less Dolly Parton with Kenny Rogers. More Mark Lanigan and Isabel Campbell. The album's songs are written from the perspective of a wrecked marriage, so there's a bit of role-playing here, convincingly portrayed by the two who have plenty of chemistry to make the 39 minutes of this album go by in a breeze. What did you make of this album? I've got to say, it sent me into an existential spiral. <laughs> ah, what? Well, explain. Because, I mean, like it, it's, it's a pretty good album. I enjoyed it. Yeah. But it's just like... Am I this old that this piece of art appeals to me? Like, I understand. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've not got divorced and hopefully I'm not going to get divorced. But like, I am married, so I could get divorced. Like, you know, I am in, in my 40s, so these kind of things could happen to me. And, like, it just struck me as this kind of thing. Like, you know, what sort of 60, 70 years after rock and roll was invented, is this what it's come down to? You know, this thing that used to be, like, big for the teenagers is now, like... People, for, for middle-aged people talking about divorce and like that's kind of fine but that kind of isn't fine at the same time and it just made me think about what what's how, what's going on so I enjoyed it but that was slightly over overshadowed by the massive existential crisis which is probably my fault rather than Bobby Gillespie or Jenny Beth's please Ma reassure me you tell me you as a young person like I, I have a theory because I feel <laughs> like this this album is the Olivia Rodrigo's album for boomers or older people because it's talking about the same thing about heartbreak and, and breakups and stuff all the time and bringing back this kind of genre of music that 
um, when you were younger, like Olivia is bringing back this punk rock, a real loving kind of music style that we relate to. This is bringing back the kind of music that older people who, if they break up, they means they're getting divorced, so they're older. And it's basically the same. They saw it work for her. So they were like, why not do a whole album about breaking up and divorce and heartbreak, but in a style that relates to older people because they didn't relate to Olivia's album. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Did I say reassure me or did I say depress me even further with, with what is a very good theory, but Christ, is it depressing? Oh, I like Olivia Rodrigo. I feel like I've been cast out of Rodrigo land, though, because it's like, well, yeah, this is for you. This isn't, this, is, this isn't for you. And also, I like the fact that you basically think that country rock, which was like around in the 70s, was the music of my youth. Um, you, said, you said it was from when you were younger. I no, you're that. not wrong. That's the thing. It's just depressing. I went through a really hard, strong country phase, like old country like the Wilco's and the or the all the stuff that was made in Laurel Canyon in the 70s I was heavily into reading Uncut magazine and this album reminds me of Uncut magazine because it's the kind of album that would be that that, that was celebrated by that kind of uh, music journalism uh, the rootsy music it's as Ben has said it is the, the orchestrations everything is is perfect there's not a thing a bad thing you can say about it the, the I feel the same way as you Ben I felt like it's it's really good, but it, it's I'm not connecting with it because what does this say about my tastes? I feel like I working in this medium. I I feel like I'm forced to pay attention to the the younger music, uh, whereas the old people's not old people's music, but the music this, this mature music. I it, it's 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 designed for my age. I'm 42, but. I'm, what does that say about my crisis? I, I still feel like I need to grip onto my youth by listening to Tyler, the creator, and listening to trying to keep up with who Earl Sweatshirt is or who all these like young, all these young people are, right? And it, it takes an effort. It's, it's not like I easily enjoy it. Whereas this, I can press play and it's yeah, great background music. For Would me. we be happier though if we just accepted it? Yes. Well, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. And... This is one thing that used to irk, irk me, for instance, I now enjoy movies like Annie Hall a lot more than when I was a teenager pretending that I was really into um, Ingmar Bergman or Woody, Woody Allen's more serious movies, no? And I would get really annoyed with people like when I was 20 and stuff, they're like, yeah, yeah, my favorite film is Persona by Ingmar Bergman. I'm like, shut up. You know, my favorite movie is Lam National Lampoon's Animal House or Porky's. You know, don't give me, don't show me that. Your favorite film is Ghostbusters 2 and we know. It, it was one of my, it's one of those films that I can rewatch over and over again. It's, it's just as much as the first one. It's a, a classic work of art. By the way, um, R.I.P. Richard Donner. He didn't direct Ghostbusters, but he directed a lot of my favorite movies. The Goonies, Lethal Weapon 2, uh, all the Lethal Weapon franchise, etc., etc. Um, what a what a cultural god. Anyway. Can I, can I pick up on something you said, though, Mar, uh, about, about Olivia Rodrigo, the comparison, which I think is a really good comparison. I'm kind of kicking myself for, for not getting it, but I'm going to run with it now. Um, and one of the things that I... Uh, that, why I would put Olivia Rodrigo uh, on, a, on, on a higher level than this album is because her writing and her lyrics are really, really sharp. And I thought some of the lyrics here um, were a bit rubbish. <laughs> like uh, from You Can Trust Me Now, it's got the spoken word intro and he talks about like flattering me like a horse. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? And I thought some of the lyrics were, um, yeah, just not great. Whereas like Olivia Rodrigo has, has got absolutely brilliant lyrics from start to finish very incisive i think these these went a bit to cliche at times maybe hmm. i i didn't 
well, yes, I paid attention to the lyrics, but I, I don't think you can. Olivia Rodrigo is a special touch is because she's so literal. At times, you can really picture yourself in whatever she's talking about, and and this one is more more lyrical in a metaphorical way that maybe it's like okay, go to the point. Did how did you break up? Were you screaming in the kitchen or not? So like maybe that's what didn't make it easier. It's just like abstract. You know, they're heartbroken, but you don't know exactly the story. And in Olivia's case, you can get the picture of it. But you see, I, I I get the impression that um, being very literal is kind of quite a modern thing mm-hmm. yeah. in music, yeah. um, and it's actually a development that I that I really like. I really like we talked about Taylor Swift quite a lot, but I really like the way in which she captures like um, expressions that people actually use and puts them in into songs. And I quite like thing, things being so literal. And again, I thought I thought. And getting away from cliches, which I thought some of this was just a little bit too too cliched in the words. Yeah, it's a fine line, isn't it? You know, a, a line can come off as being pretentious because they're trying to be quotidien, but but there's a sort of mm, r- r- uh, rancid poetry to it. Can can I quote something at you? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is unfair. It's really unfair quoting song lyrics. Um, and I'm gonna, but I'm gonna do it. Feelings of guilt, shame, and remorse flattened me like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Does he mean flattened by the horse, like you're lying on the ground and you're I'm, flattened by a horse? No, I I picture that in my head. So right. a horse running over me, but in which scenario would I be <laughs> run over by a horse? Well, you know, if you in were a like metaphorical scenario, I guess. You, 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 this is because you haven't been watching The Crown. If in The Crown you see that the Queen has a a, a kind of a friend who's porty who takes care of her horses, he could trip one day in the mud and be stampled <laughs> by a horse in Balmoral. Or maybe it's because I'm not married yet, and that's something that happens only when you get married and then divorced, and then the horse appears out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Happy Mondays lyric that says something like, I was bitten by a horse, now I'm moving for divorce. <laughs> Look, <and there laughs> it seemed a bit nonsense, but now... <laughs> horse and divorce, the, the, the national symbol. Hmm. But can, can I, I've just been really rude about it. Can I say some of the things I really like? Uh, Your Heart Will Always Be Broken, I thought was an absolutely brilliant song. Uh, Relax Stones of Silence, which has that sort of lovely piano intro we've, we've just heard. There, there's, um, I thought it was quite Rolling Stones. Um, uh, you the actual song you can trust me now. I, I enjoyed. I like the fact that there was a song called English Town, which actually sounded very French. I thought that was a really nice mix because it was about um, you know, it's kind of called English Town. You expect it to be like the jam or something. It comes on like with this sort of brush drums and very French bistro kind of thing, <laughs> which I thought was really nice. I really enjoyed the album, like, despite having said that it's just like Olivia Rodrigo's album. It it's kind of in a good way, like I. It felt like it was like the music track to a, a movie or something. Like I, yeah. I enjoyed how it sounded, yeah. even though it's not. Maybe I'm not exactly the target they were lo- looking for, but I. I well, that's something. Oh, sorry. That's something that Bobby Gillespie has always re- uh, referenced. You no know, film soundtracks. You know, famously, Primal Scream uh, would draw inspiration from um, '70s road movies like uh, Vanishing Point. No, for their album of the same title, it's something that's it's always been a good creative uh, hook for him to sort of imagine the, a movie and write the Im- imaginary music for it. And this is definitely a, a modern take on a. Not Bonnie and Clyde, damn it! But um, I always think Bonnie and Clyde because of the Serge Gainsbourg, Zane Birkin reference. But well, it's like again, what I quite like that Bonnie and Clyde is very dramatic, but this isn't. It sort of felt like this is sort of the 
the romance or the failed romance of every day, if you see what I mean. You know, like in the small details of how things how things collapse. Well, it's because you know most people don't experience what a, a bank heist is or, a, or or attacking another country or anything. But you, most people do suffer divorces or or, or survive. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that long horse hard road horse, <laughs> horse, horse trampling. Ah, let's listen to a little bit of living a lie. It's always good news to receive uh, music, musical news from someone like uh, Bobby Gillespie and Denny Beth. And it's, in the case of Bobby Gillespie, it's it's crazy when you think his main band, Primal Screen, have serv- have been resisting for so long and they've survived uh, the end of uh, 80s indie. They survived Britpop. They survived shoegaze. They survived uh, dance rock. You know, survived. They, they, they've just always been there and they've always been the great festival act mm, that you couldn't miss and they've always been top-notch. Um, speaking of Britpop, uh, have you guys seen this new show on Netflix called This Is Pop? Yes. I have not, but I can wait. Mar, you <laughs> haven't done your homework. <laughs> no, I haven't, Mar, but I, I read um, about what you will talk about and I think I prefer to watch it later after you talk about Mar, it. Mar, what the hell didn't appeal about a documentary that featured a documentary on the summer of Britpop? <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know... I don't care if you weren't born at that stage. This is this is big big stuff. This was. I have uh, to I, admit that I kind of fell a little bit asleep with the Britpop one because I've you know I've read that book. I, I know Britpop in and out. We've lived it, Ben. We've we've survived Britpop. <laughs> well, I told you the incredible fact the other, the other day, didn't I? Can I repeat it? Yes. That the Blur and Oasis singles uh, that competed in their famous uh, race for number one were released on the day of my birthday. Your eighteenth birthday, birthday. <laughs> yeah, when you became of legal birthday. age. Yeah, amazing. Is legal age in the UK eighteen as well for for, for drinking? For yeah. drinking. Yeah. What about driving? Seventeen. Seventeen. All right. Well, it was anyway. They might have changed. Okay. Been, been there in a while. Well, anyway, the, I I really enjoyed. I, I I didn't expect much. You know, I, all of a sudden I hit play and I watched. I binged about four episodes in one afternoon. I found the, the one on Swedish pop producers uh, one of the most interesting since they. Uh, these producers usually stay out of the spotlight and they make a case about it you know how the Swedish character is all about being discreet never celebrating your success in public you know it's like oh that's that's totally out of character for a Swede right and uh, they they talk about how Swedish pop you know but since ABBA has always been a global dominating force but in the 90s and 2000s it's been there but they let the American or international artists take the credit you know like people like Backstreet Boys Britney Spears uh, all these incredible chart busting artists all of their mus- most of their great hits were produced by uh, some of these Swedish pop producers like Max Martin and uh, yeah, the, the the episode's very interesting to to hear their take. You know, them talking about it. The Jantelagen. Yes, that was a very interesting concept, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like the the which basically says you're not allowed to talk about how how successful you are. And there was this brilliant moment um, in the documentary in that particular episode where they they ask um, one of these producers who's new, who's done really well, who's like, uh, like breaking out and lots of hits, and he was like, and now I've had ten Billboard number ones or something like that. 
And then he, the look on his face, he just goes like, um, maybe I shouldn't have said that. He looks really ashamed. Yeah, like, yeah. Because, and it's like, come on, dude, you've had 10 top, hit, top, top yeah, hits in the billboard. Was, you know, like, be, be kind of happy. And Grammy Awards and stuff. Yeah, yeah, all of a sudden he's like, oh, that's not very Swedish of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, one another thing that caught me off guard was music by this next artist, Rob. Play me some T-Pain. God damn, little mama. You know you thick as hell, you know what I'm saying? Matter of fact, after the club, you know what I'm talking about, me and my niggas gonna be together, you know what I'm saying? I ain't even worried about them really, though. I'm just looking at So in all this series, the, there's one episode on auto-tune and T-Pain, T-Pain is kind of the main character in this episode and it is heartbreaking because... He became synonymous with uh, this vocal effect, the autotune, and everyone blamed him for ruining music. Do you know what I, I really, really loved about this episode in particular? was like, okay, the, the Britpop one was basically, I knew all of the story, hmm. and I was just enjoying seeing the story played out in, in front of me. Whereas the autotune one, I thought I knew all of the story, but it turns out I really, really didn't. Because like T-Pain, who is not something I've, uh, someone I've, I've thought about, and when I have done it, it's like, you know, through his musical career, it's like, oh yeah, autotune, bloody blah, blah, blah. He talks about like how he went into depression for years mm-hmm. and how Usher was like, oh yeah, you ruined music. And like, you know, you hear that, you think, oh, what, a, what an amusing anecdote. And he's like, no, he went into depression for three years. And he four. got out of it. Four years. Four years. And, he, he, and you're like, oh my God, I've never, ever thought about this before. And I felt like so bad for him and I felt like so good and at the end I'd have, I'd have like sort of voted for him I, and his wife as well who's lovely he's like how do you get through it and he's like thanks to my wife yeah because she stood by him all the time and it's a beautiful image of the two of a you know a, a marriage held together unlike the characters that Bobby Gillespie and Jenny Beth are pretending to be this is a, a nice marriage that has been through thick and thin what's the thing that he he was a little bit irked about which he explains in the documentary is that he recorded a tiny desk concert a few years ago and internet went crazy saying oh my god T-Pain can actually sing and he's like damn it people I always knew how to sing but the reason I I spent about a year searching for that auto-tune effect because at the time it wasn't known as auto-tune nobody knew how producers got this effect no in the Cher song the famous Cher uh, believe no Mm -hmm. Uh, everyone's like apparently producers were kind of sheepish about using autotune because they thought that they were kind of cheating when they were helping singers reach notes using this technology and T-Pain heard it on another song and he's like I want that vocal effect because I, I there's other, otherwise I'm just going to be another R&B singer or another rapper and you need to distinguish yourself especially in the United States at that time everyone had a mixtape everyone was rapping and he he thought this was a way of distinguishing himself using this vocal effect claro he was so naive at the time now all of a sudden everybody uses autotune and there's a moment where he says you know Kanye West said to him in 2006 or I can't remember ah, I got my dates uh, he says like yeah yeah uh, Kanye was a super fan of his uh, his album Rapper Tent Sangha he's like yeah yeah it's basically love songs with the bass really really high and T-Pain's like yeah and what did Kanye do next he released 808 808s and heartbreak and everyone loved Kanye for it like wow you know this is so innovative and so cool and blah 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 and you've inspired all this generation of kids singing with autotune it's like no <laughs> it's T-Pain man T-Pain credit where credit is due see I've got to say when when you you suggested watching these I'd seen these are going on on Netflix and I, I'd looked through them and I'd been like well one's about boys to men one's about autotune one's about Britpop one's about Sweden like, I, I didn't quite get it so I sort of didn't didn't uh, watch them because I thought they were just a bit too dispersed like I didn't see kind of what was going like I didn't see what kind of um, 
united them. But they, like, having watched uh, three of them now, I think just good storytelling unites mm-hmm. them. You know, I really, really enjoyed them. And as I said, for, for very different different reasons. But I think in every one of them managed to draw out the personal. I saw I saw the T-Pain clip in which he explained the whole thing, like the, specifically the story in which he's not playing and nature comes to him and says all of that stuff. And and everyone, well, not just me, everyone was just so devastated to know that he went through that. Like we all kind of forgot him and, and knowing the stories behind this kind of artists that were pioneers of things that were... Maybe we weren't prepared at the time and we needed someone to die for the cause, yeah. kind of. Um, and, and he did for Autotune. And now hearing his story, it makes me so sad. And I saw that he, previous to, to this clip being on, on Twitter or at the same time, more or less, he posted a, a TikTok, T-Pain, in which he said, like, I didn't know that on Instagram you can go to to a second like DM page in which you don't follow the people that that tag you in stuff and i see that all these verified artists are tagged me time ago in their stories and now it seems like i ignored them but i just didn't know that interim had this tab and i didn't respond to all of these messages and there's messages from fergie and and all these artists that are like i don't know there were plenty and people are like okay let's wait for this 2022 and being up full of of features with t-pain because now he's realized artists want to collaborate with him but he didn't know he had this tab on instagram do you know what this made me think about as well um is like how many t- that, that thing you were saying about like people doing jokes about oh t-pang can really sing like and how that that really hurt him and it's like i didn't make that kind of joke but i could have done like mm. and I, I never really thought about like i remember for example i mean to give an even 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 worse example like i remember going to uh, or watching the brit awards once when when like uh, someone was was presenting it they did a joke a joke about like amy amy winehouse you know this was obviously before she died and like yeah. laughing along and you're like oh god it makes me feel really bad mm-hmm. because like you know you, you think you kind of laugh along and like no one cares and like then there's t-pain a lovely man you know saying that he went into a depression it's like yeah. oh god so how can we know? What should we do? Should we never make sort of these kind of jokes about celebrities? Where yeah, but that's the fun part of music <laughs> journalism, you know, like uh, lambasting an album or I don't know how many Winehouse jokes we made about. Oh, she's in the Winehouse. Oh, she's on alcohol. I don't know. And now it's like, damn it, uh, that's the that's the thing about becoming a a musical star. You get rich and famous and stuff, but there's the downside. Yeah, you're always on that slippery slope. Please, Rob, play me some Divine. Yes, I never knew that Divine had so many banging tracks and Mar is here to do the great drag queen icon some justice. Yes, because we were talking um, this weekend about documentaries and and this pop and and which one had we watched and and enjoyed. And I was like, I have never enjoyed a documentary. I don't know, have I watched documentaries at all? And then I I thought, of course I have. I, I have. I love... Um, Divine's documentary I have seen it more than once more than twice um, which you can find on on filming it's called I Am Divine which I discovered looking for um, John Waters filmography which is not on on filming 
And but did, there's this documentary, and it's so interesting. It obviously everything related to divine is interesting, but it follows how divine became divine and and how she became to be this iconic trashy diva of the 70s and 80s how she um he actually i'm sorry i just the pronouns it's confusing in this case he became this iconic john waters muse how he became the iconic drag queen that changed the game forever yeah. and and well it, it's super interesting it, it's um i really recommend it so if you're looking for a documentary then i say go for this one and that it is pop too um <laughs> but the point I want to make today, because I feel like everyone kind of knows Divine some, just maybe on the surface level, but you know that she is the, this drag queen, the filthiest person on earth, aka the person on uh, or the act character on Pink Flamingos that eats dog shit in the last scene yeah. and everyone was disgusted and, and it was amazing and fantastic and everything. Oh. But Divine is actually much more than that. She, she, I want to come here and reclaim her underrated music career, which is uh, so iconic, just as much as her acting and performance career. But it feels like it's overshadowed because of she's so because big. Of the and, shit. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, in during the 80s, after she did lots of films already with um, John Waters and she had all these acts and stuff, she um, put a step into music and she had a brief career from 1982 to 1984, mm -hmm. so two years. She put out three albums and despite it being so brief and, and everything, it, it wasn't... Uh, she was a pioneer to what um, club music later became. She was a pioneer of, of techno music. Uh, and who would have thought, I didn't know Divine was a, the, a big person behind what we have now in techno. Like, it's not only her, of course, uh, but but because of, of what she did in that time, yeah. um, she she started this ball rolling on, on, on club music. And, and it sounds crazy because... Uh, just like I said, we know her from all her performances, but knowing she played this huge role in in electronic music, mm -hmm. uh, it's 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 amazing, and I think we should be talking more about it. And she has iconic hits like um, "You Think You're a Man," like the one is that's playing right now, or um, "I I what's it called? I Am Beautiful," I think. Um, it's also an iconic one. Yeah. Um, She's got one. I don't know if it's iconic called "Kick Your Butt." Everything Divine does is iconic. So, and there's a lot of them that are super trashy. That it's basically just Divine talking over a beat, yeah. which is obscene, trashy kind of. It's also cool. Like uh, everything uh, relating to her super brief music career, yeah, yeah. I think was was super interesting. And and I I want to talk more about it. I, I think it's super <laughs> interesting. And um, it's actually I'm I'm like I shouldn't be that surprised because. Um, a lot of the music genres we have now and a lot of the aesthetics, fashions and everything um, we consume and pop culture we consume, we owe it to the LGBTIQ plus community. Yes. And it's no surprise because, um, well, it kind of is if you don't go through history, but disco um, emerged in the 70s gay nightlife in New York. And um, uh -huh. like I said, um, electronic music became also in this kind of scenes. Um, it, it It's kind of... It became mainstream years later, but mm -hmm. if you dig enough, you almost, well, not almost all the time, but a lot of the times you end up 
seeing that it originated in underground gay scenes in in big cities or whatever. Did like, you see the, uh, Paris is Burning, the documentary on it's on Netflix. It's uh, no, I it's haven't. about the drag queen scenes, the ballrooms, the mm-hmm. ballroom, the ballroom, ballroom is, scene in New York. Super important. And it's how all these weird, all these outcasts, these society, mm-hmm. the, the outcasts of society, all these black Latino gay people, you know, who would dress up in drag to become these larger than life characters. You know, they celebrate these ballrooms. And uh, who famously took voguing out of the ballroom and made it and made a millions and millions of money of dollars out of it? Madonna, who recently got into a bit of thick water because she said that she came before Little Nas X because he did that BT yep. performance where he kissed two guys and she's like huh, I did this before with Britney and Christina and <laughs> Diet Prada of all yeah. she's like you just this woman <laughs> she's lost con- touch with reality how could you've been stealing Vogue you've been stealing from gay culture and now you still pretend to be on top of it I love these little beefs sorry the, the, Mark the, I think I, can I just, just butt in there to say that like basically uh, house music culture is gay black culture and it gets very very I think it does get overlooked and the thing is alright obviously you don't want to be the kind of person who's like well are you dancing to house music well then you should really know all about its history because I think mm. you can just know but like um, it just wouldn't exist without it and also I think a lot of the, the sounds of classic house I mean if you look at like classic early house records a lot of it to do with escaping with going to a better mm-hmm. place and, and that kind of thing and often that's taken I think as like a drug reference because that was how it was like later interpreted uh. but it's not it's, it's because I mean it might be as well but like in a lot of cases you know because people were going to clubs where they could escape from their everyday life and yeah. have this club as a sort of moment of, of liberation and that's kind of like I mean I'm talking as a straight bloke that's had you know had it pretty easy all my life but like you know <laughs> that's one of the things I, I really like in a lot of house music because that liberating feel yeah. you know yeah 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 and so what what, what you, you brought something about drag queens yeah because all of these I was so into it when thinking about the documentary about Divine and how she um, changed the game from the underground and then somehow managed to be more mainstream even at that time mm-hmm. and I and I was thinking okay divine drag queens all of that, that stuff I, I love them um, shaping every mainstream culture from the underground and it made me think of the episode um, in which we said that TV is dead yeah um, which was a, a good one and I stand by what we said but for the first time <laughs> in my life I think I was not completely correct, and I want to remake my the statement I I made that day. What? Don't go back on it. <laughs> it's almost like that, I, that Taylor Swift album wasn't released on the day you said it was going to yeah. be. Oh my God, Taylor, you made me look bad. Um, but yeah, I want to remake the statement that TV is dead. Like, um, I do think it is dead, but I do think there's one thing that keeps the industry or the entertainment as, as we all know it alive and that is drag queens and because the only thing I have been consuming for a long time is seasons and seasons and seasons and seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race and I think he knows he's the only one that has been making this industry survive and, and is making the industry and the entertainment industry keep afloat and he's uh, he's on a quest to, to make like a, a monopoly of drag race um, mm-hmm. within the industry like the every form um like yeah the, the drag race has 
um, infinite spin-off and you're never left out um, without a se- once you finish one season you already have another one like for example I just finished um, season 13 not that long ago and I already have um, the Spanish spin-off of the show like I have um, RuPaul's Drag Race um, Spain and once I finish this season of RuPaul's Drag Race Spain I will have a season of All-Stars so RuPaul is making a monopoly so that I never get out of the of the never-ending cycle of Drag Race so I will never be left out without any form of entertainment I will always be on the cycle of it because it never stops there's always a, a different show show within the the monopoly of drag race yeah. um to go to and and I think it's it's very intelligent of him I, I'm not surprised he's managed to do that oh, yeah. so the I want to reformulate my statement I want yes the entertainment industry is dead like we said we're never incorrect in this show but it is now called the RuPaul industry so now we're living in the in this era in which the entertainment industry is now called the RuPaul entertainment industry like um, I I get why how it works so well at in in our time and yeah. because you get in the show you get everything you need from from different multiple shows like maybe you like fashion then you go to a a show that's fashion based or or you like humor and you go to more sitcoms and stuff but RuPaul's Drag Race has everything it has fashion it has humor it has drama they have very dramatic stories it has music they always make um, music and and RuPaul is it also has a huge music career Mm and there's performances there's political and critical thought there's everything in in one mm, product Um, and and in a world in which globalization runs the world Mm -hmm. um, and everything is reduced to one big product and one big brand like uh, Coca-Cola owns everything and and there's only one brand behind all these little brands it -hmm. would make sense that we end up in an entertainment industry in which RuPaul's Drag drag Race (laughs) is the only product we have and everything is just little products out of of RuPaul's mine. Can I can I ask a stupid question? Because I I actually haven't been watching RuPaul's Drag Race. You should. I I'm sure. Yeah, no, you've convinced the me. The Spanish version is so good, and in Queer Up Your Life, the show in Primavera Radio Primavera yeah, Sound. Um, they two of the contestants came to, to oh, the show. So it's, the, oh, the Spanish contestants. Yeah. Ah, yeah, nice. But are there like breakout stars from it who've gone on to do their own thing? Yes, then you. Uh, I tell you, you would love um, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. Like I'm, uh, but okay, I'm gonna say my final statement. Which but is, who? Who? That's I need I'm, to know. I'm like, gonna need, tell okay, you okay. now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> after all this rant, Ben, um, I I came to this huge realization, which is that drag queens are the actual Renaissance man of our era or our time yeah. Renaissance man understood as this super inventive person that can do a lot of stuff like Da Vinci and stuff like the the men of the Renaissance that Kanye were West. super like people say Kanye West is a Renaissance man I'm saying no it's drag queens drag queens are as the Renaissance man of our time and how have we not realized earlier I mean Kanye is super talented but it's he's not the actual Renaissance man it's people like Bimini Bombulash, which is a superstar <laughs> from RuPaul's Drag Race UK UK which is well not a Scottish but I uh, maybe Bimini is Scottish and she has Vogue covers um, fashion skills um, I think she sews as well most of or, or lots of her um, costumes on, and dresses and stuff. She, she, has, she has music out. She's putting out a book. She is a comedy queen. Everything. 
name a person that can do all of this. Yeah. It's, it has to be a drag queen. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, no, I have heard of Bimini Bombulash because <laughs> Bimini, uh, one, one, one of Bimini's first appearances was uh, in a Norwich City top, or in, ah! uh, very, which is the football team I support. And I, somebody sent it to me and I was like, what is going on here? And I was very pleased to see it. <laughs> and look at this. Look at that. You can't see it. Look at that. Look at look at her. How can you not love drag wow. queens? She's the I best. I do. I love. Is that I love. No, no, she, it I'm looks like a Brazilian football shirt. Oh from here. my god! Uh, maybe it's because the <laughs> how, how long have I known you? Is it yellow or orange? I couldn't see from here. It's yellow and green. But we got there Brazil? before Brazil. Yeah, we got there before Brazil. Brazil oh. changed in the fifties. We were there first. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but the also, Brazilian flag oh. is green and yellow. Blue. And a bit of blue. Uh, yeah, the blue planet. All right, but <laughs> do they have someone as cool as Bimini uh, ah, Bon But they have lots of drag queens. They Brazil have Pablo well, Vitar. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, yeah, basically that's my point. I'm, um, you can think of it as if Leonardo da Vinci was alive today, I'm a thousand percent sure he would be a drag queen. And that's my stance. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, and you can and, and everyone who's even nitpicked from drag queen culture has has been very successful, like Madonna, who is a clear example of a white woman on Instagram. An open window, a novel. Couple holding hands An avocado A poem Written in the sand the, This song that kind of reminds me of a Fisher Spooner song, another mm, electro pop uh, an electro class project that kind of uh, took a little bit of inspiration from mm, house music culture and new york gay drag uh, culture anyway uh, this song belongs to bo burnham a com- a musical comedian who has presented this incredible feature film on netflix called bo burnham's inside i was caught off guard with this uh, bait it was made entirely during lockdown He wrote all these incredible pop songs about the type of mundane source material that we all kind of faced. World weariness, the despair of being locked locked down without a foreseeable possible uh, positive future outcome. He turned his own personal demise into poetry disguised in really catchy pop hooks and superb production. Uh, it's all shot in one room and using lighting and stuff he can he manages to make different kind of scenes and scenarios and, and, and places within one room with all his musical gear and cables and stuff. I was only going to watch five minutes of it and was ready to discard it as another mediocre Netflix comedy special, but the songs got me hooked. His resourcefulness using the same room and changing it with his camera angles and cheap lightning rigs and with the lyrical content, it was really bright and well executed. Uh, there's a song about being an unpaid intern. There's a song about sexting, an ode to Jeff Bezos, a song about FaceTiming with your mother. Everything super relatable. It was pure quotidian core, as we've mentioned before. And even though they're comedy songs, some are as, uh, as charming as songs by people like Jens Lekman or Stephen Merritt even, if you, if you push me hard enough. Uh, if you're a fan of a visual artist like Miranda Julie, this is definitely worth the watch. I have a vague theory about comedy songs. Yeah. Oh, God, I've got vague theories about everything. But, like, you know, like, I think 
comedy songs often have quite good melodies because they don't think of them as like, oh, I'm going to write a song, yeah. you know, and it's going to be great and it's going to move people. They're just like, well, I'm going to you know, do a song around these words. And in doing so, they come out with something like the has like immediate accessibility that kind of taps into emotions quite well. Well, you were saying about how you like matter of fact uh, lyrics. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is this is this got me thinking. It's like this guy is doing matter of fact, being really absurd and bland. I'm going to make a song about you know reading, scrolling through internet, right? But because the musicality and the the pop hooks and the the production is really good, it's just as good as a lot of indie pop bedroom album or not even bedroom pop, like proper pop, like Japanese breakfast. Or even we were talking about rapper turned sanga by T Pain. T Pain has got a song called "I'm in Love with a Stripper," or uh, or or making love in the studio. No, was it called making love in the studio? Um, I'm sprung. <laughs> This should have been our sprung anthem. Um, <laughs> and if you look at his song titles, and they're like a proper album, it's like what makes Bo Burnham any less of a re of a serious pop musician just because he identifies as a comedian and he's a that that's what he does no and these songs I, i'm i'm quite I'm, i was pretty much in love with the soundtrack mm. well that's what made me watch the, the entire movie I, you- uh, yeah i, I loved uh, well i love Boburnam, so it's no surprise i i also love this one and and uh, my favorite one when, <laughs> was when he was reacting to himself reacting yes. to the song and then he's like oh okay so self-awareness is not uh, something that you can ex- well it, it's so funny but the thing i want to talk about and i and i talked with a few of my friends that also um, really like Boburnam, is that i it made me a little bit uncomfortable um the one that was playing actually white woman instagram because even though it's i i don't have exactly um everything he sings about and, and it's funny but It kind of was um, a little bit misogynistic, and I know Bob Burnham is not misogynistic, and and he sings about lots of other stuff, and and the part about uh, the mother, like uh, you posted a thing about your mother who you've missed for ten years, yeah, like, that passed wow. away. It's it, and he is, does a lot of um, jokes about also like white white men and stuff, and but I feel like this one, um, I don't know, it it didn't quite feel right to me like if it was if it was a woman singing about it maybe it would have been funnier to me and i feel like sometimes we use the crotch of white uh, um, next to women (laughs) to just say something misogynistic so it doesn't sound misogynistic it sounds like oh no it's a race issue so it's um something we can talk about like make fun of and i think in this in this case it it was a little bit um i don't know um They did. I yeah, was like slightly misogynistic because he's yeah. he he's still a white privileged guy. Yeah, and, you know, and a he, successful. He has other um, parts in which he talks about his cultural appropriation as a white person yeah. and stuff. But this song specifically just didn't quite sit right with me for some reason. And I love Baburnam, and I I know he's the last person who would be something out of touch and like this. But it did kind of feel weird knowing him especially. Damn, I thought you'd find it funny because I thought it was like kind of making fun of the whole Tumblr craze as well because, you know, Instagram, it's it's an extension of the Tumblr aesthetic, you know, of sharing your coffee breakfasts, your your Martin Luther King quotes and this kind of like, this kind of cheesy stuff. It's unfair to like just accuse white American women. You should have said my American, white women in general. I think, I think a lot of people in general, 
regardless of race, fall into that, um, what do you call it? Ortera. No, yeah, it's like not Ortera. Uh, cheesy, cheesy. Yeah. It's basically, it, it, the song could have been called cheesy stuff on Instagram yeah. without making it a thing about a gender. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know, and I understand the the fun of it, and 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 it I I do think it's funny, but it something in me was was a little bit like awkward when listening to it. So I didn't watch this, which is not good. But you like, will, Ben. You will. Okay, the, <laughs> but I'm the one that doesn't do the homework. You didn't watch this. No, I'll tell you what put me off is I don't want to see anything more about people's experience during the pandemic. I thought the same thing, and <laughs> I could not switch it off, Ben. I thought, really, another like another white, r privileged white guy complaining about being locked down and uh, in his fancy studio. Uh, you know, he's got all this lovely equipment and stuff. It's not like he's in some shitty uh, council estate flat, you know, suffering. And wow, creativity, man. It, okay, okay. He has another uh, uh, older show on Netflix too, which like I watched, and I th I didn't think was that good. I thought he's quite mediocre for a comedian. Yeah, Even I, I really uh, I discovered him through that. So I, oh. to me, that that was like I really enjoyed it. But I, I guess if you first discover it with insight, the other one might not appeal as much. Well, Do I, like, know, I, I don't want to complain, right? But I I'm going to. Um, <laughs> I subscribe to four streaming services, right? And there's nothing funny on them. It's all rubbish. It's because this race. is the thing the, the the whole concept of just like white women on Instagram, the whole concept of Netflix comedy has been watered down so much. Every idiot has a special, and some of it is just not. It's like it takes you ages to like get a smirk. Even seriously, the other day I was looking through all four trying to find something funny to watch. And TV is dead. We have to watch Drag Race and let RuPaul have the monopoly of entertainment RuPaul, industry. It, it's on Netflix, no? RuPaul's yeah. Drag yeah. Race. Okay, okay. Drag, <laughs> so TV is dead. All right, okay. We were, okay. we were right, but we missed the second part of the sentence. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> so okay. do I give this a go or not? I'm really confused. Yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not, okay. Just as an exception. Just especially for the musicality, Ben. I think you, as a lover of indie pop or stuff, uh, you will you will get some pleasure from it. And and seeing what he, you know, with the lighting, it's amazing. With with it's like cheap. It's not even like fancy, expensive lighting. It's got like the kind of cheap rigs you can buy from one of those Ale Hop stores. Those you know <laughs> where you can buy like lighting for 15 euros and stuff. And it's like wow, this guy. He he, and and the. To, to finish it because I can imagine you thinking oh wouldn't this be a good idea for a film if I did this but I can imagine you getting bored of yourself being stuck alone like finding the motivation and he pulled through man that was it's quite a feat anyway um, more music please maestro Right, so we're continuing in our uh, quest to uh, basically bring you some of the best things from the Primavera Sound 2022 lineup from the undercard, as I like to put it. <laughs> um, and it's what we said, right? Okay, basically, there's so many bands playing that you go through it and your your kind of brain glazes over. And like, I didn't even realize Sophia Cortesis, who's playing right now. I didn't even know she was playing. Who's I, Sophia Cortesis? She is a Peruvian uh, producer currently living in Berlin. Um, and she signed to uh, Ninja Tunes, well, Technicolor, uh, last year, and she released um, an EP. Um, and it's absolutely gorgeous. It's stuff like this. It's basically kind of like quite soft house music oh. uh, with her vocals on on top of it. Basically, it's the first time she's she's sung 
on anything. And she does it with real massive emotion. This particular song, which we're listening to, um, La La Perla, she wrote it for uh, her dad, uh, who she lost to leukemia. And it's just, mm. it's a really beautiful kind of song. She said, my dad used to say, staring at the sea is like meditation. It clears your head. This song is for him. And this is the kind of song, I've said this a few times, that if we were like going outside and going to lots of, of, of clubs and festivals and that kind of thing. I mean, we kind of are a little bit, but not 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 really. This song would be absolutely massive, I reckon, because it, it's got that sort of. For me, it brings a slightly kind of Latin edge to yeah. house music, and it's got. Mm. I love. I, I, it's got a very pop vocal that that kind of thing. Also, um, I noticed the little bracket by her name. It says live, right? And so she is now basically the reason that, that she started with this kind of like new sound is because she wanted to make um, a uh, live a live show. She said, my dream is to develop a live show. And I created La Perla with that in mind. Um, so I'm not sure if she's going to be doing any live shows before this or this will be like one of her first ones. But this is going to be an absolutely fabulous thing, I think. Amazing. I already had her in, a, in one of my playlists where I add stuff to feel young and keep her <laughs> up to date with what I think as a DJ I should be playing to get the young kids excited. I already had her and I didn't remember. Sofia Cortez is wonderful, Ben. I love this. I'm loving the song. There's so much of this good, like, uh, electronic from all these young artists that, like Nidia, who we were talking about a few weeks earlier and stuff. I'm, I just hope I'm going to be able to compartmentalize my time when Primavera Sound 2022 it's comes totally up because you know, cause sometimes you got to get in the mood like, okay, this this heart, uh, Sophia's playing, so I need to get into the mood to listen to this kind of house, but maybe I come from watching a punk punkier show, like maybe I come from watching Ice Age or something, and, and you know, to switch moods in that way, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I've, I've, I haven't been to a festival in two years. Oh my God, oh my God. Should we listen to a bit more? Oh yeah, that's All what right. I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> artist who sadly isn't playing next year's Primavera Sound 2022, although you never know. There's still artists to be announced, but I'm not saying anything with this. Uh, Grimes. Grimes, I I don't get tired of her. Some people are a little bit sick of her, uh, but I, I'm, I still find her fascinating. And apparently she's announced another interesting idea of a project. Ben, you've got the latest on this. Yeah, her her uh, new studio album, which apparently she's already recorded, uh, it's not going to be any old studio album. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to take the form of a space opera revolving around a lesbian AI. Oh, do, do you want a quote? <laughs> yes. yes. Or are you just bored of albums about space operas? <laughs> yeah, too many of them. Yeah, it's about a space opera. Uh, it's a space opera about Claire de Lune, an artificial courtesan. Uh, she replied, adding that the character was implanted in a simulation that is a memory of the AI creation story on Earth from the brain of the engineer who invented AI because he wanted to relive his life, but see if his perfect dream girl could should teach him to love, and thereby he would preserve humanity this time rather than letting them fade into obscurity overcome by the machines. As she slowly realises she is simultaneously a dancing puppet for the male gaze, though, their relationship grows complex simultaneously no one the most powerful super intelligence in the future where the simulation is being rendered from realizes there's a massive hyper realistic sim running and sends in her troll ai puppets to wreak havoc 
Did you? Did, were you paying attention? Because yeah. I will be. I, I will be asking questions later. <laughs> oh my god! I, I, the relationship I have with Grimes, like, I, I don't know if I love her more than I love anything else in this world, or I hate her more than I hate anything else in this world. It's just like Azealia Banks. Like, I cannot disattach myself from your, your persona or character or whatever it is. Like, I. It is, she wrote that out of whatever she's thinking and I don't know, then she did that TikTok in which she was like talking about communism and how she, oh. she is <laughs> oh, not God. married to one of the most imperialistic persons on this freaking earth. Like, yes, I don't know, you're insane and I don't understand how your brain works, but please keep on doing weird stuff. I, I'm hooked to it and I... Oh my god, can't wait to listen to this album. Do you know how the news came out as well? Basically, it was in the uh, her Instagram comments. Uh, some fan, some random fans, probably know, asked about the vibes on the new record. Oh. And she just went, boof. Oh like my this. god. Like, look at it, uh, like, you cannot hate her, even though I want to hate her. But at the same time, I, I admire hate. her. <laughs> but it just. Like, yeah. Oh my God, Grimes! See, I I I don't necessarily listen to a lot of Grimes music, mm. but I love the fact that she's just come up with this incredibly yeah. elaborate <laughs> concept. It's like it's like sort of you know prog rock and sort of you know yeah. Knights of the Round Table on Ice and that yes. kind of thing. I, just, I, I love I love this kind of thing. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to listen to it, but just the fact that it exists. It's but her influence is so strong now in a, in so much hyper pop and sorry for the phone. So, uh, hyper pop. Was that Grimes? Uh, no, <laughs> that was my thing. Uh, the, the the whole mixture of trashy and like experimental electronics, but the whole DIY approach. It's what what she was doing ten years ago is what is so commonplace nowadays, and I think sometimes some of these antics I don't know I even like her Instagram post the other day she was just posting like her with a lightsaber on her mm -hmm. infinity pool in her yeah. wonderful expensive LA home or wherever she lives and it's like yeah I'm happy that she's you know having fun you know with her character and she's got such a wild imagination I'm glad that she has all the resources at her mm -hmm. demand to keep making music because I don't think the quality is gonna uh, suffer from having so much mm -hmm. Mm, so much at hand, shall we say? I think she. Um, one of the reasons people kind of hated her um, is that she kind of um, played poverty as if it was an accessory when she actually is. Her parents are well off and stuff, and she went just to live in in this Canadian like brave houses just to um be like Slum cover it. just for the fashion of it and it's poor like, performance no is what yeah, they call exactly. it exactly and and that's what's kind of icky about her character but she is super creative non like she has an amazing mind with kind of insane as well but yeah uh, it's impossible not to be attracted you have to, to kind of be a little bit insane to find <laughs> elon musk attractive no oh, I don't, sorry sorry that's a bit harsh that is <laughs> yes i totally agree knowing especially that he's like an imperialistic person that it's making everything worse on earth and you don't care because you have to be insane to do that because not long ago she had um communist and something else in, in her bio on on, Insta on Instagram or, or on Ooh. Twitter and people were like how can you claim to be a communist when you're married to, to this man and she's now changed it to a few emojis and it's like okay at least you don't um, 
put yourself this label because it's it just doesn't make any sense. But I imagine their conversations have to be incredible, incredibly fun and nerdy. Like he he must know his techie stuff. I don't think he's just some rich guy who pays like very talented scientists, even though his rockets are crap. <laughs> I mean, none of I mean, the other one landed the, the other day. They, they, they put one of SpaceX. But it's like, how much how much do these rockets cost every time one explodes and stuff? We're talking millions and millions. I mean, how how great it is that, yeah, someone has the money to be able to invest in ways for us to get off this earth when we've finished burning it up and and making it inhabit uninhabitable uh, and develop colonies on Mars and stuff. I don't know. It's 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 nice that there's someone beyond NASA and helping us dream with possibilities in outer space. But yes, it's a lesbian AI. <laughs> exactly. The only person I want to bring me to Mars is lesbian AI created by Grimes, not Elon Musk. Ah. <laughs> Robert, it's time to listen to the last song of the day. Mar, you said television is dead. Well, this week television has definitely died a little bit more because we said goodbye to the one of the world's most charismatic superstar entertainers to have graced television screens all across Europe and Latin America for decades. Rafaela Carrà was more than a pop star, more than a dancer, more than a TV host, more than an actress, more than a producer. She was Rafaela, unique and shining like a supernova. She was one of those once-in-a-lifetime personalities that come along and make the world a little bit more exciting by the virtue of her grace. She did more for feminism than feminists. She did more for gay culture than some other gay icons. What a way to burn so brightly for such a long time. Grazie mille, Raffaella. Listening to Radio Primavera Sound. RPS.